Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. Today, I have the honor of being joined by Gabby Bernstein, a friend and mentor who will be sharing her own personal healing journey with us all on the soundboard. For over 16 years, Gabby Bernstein has been transforming people's lives, including her own. The number one New York Times bestselling author has penned nine books, including The Universe Has Your Back, Super Attractor, and her newest one, Happy Days. In her weekly podcast, Dear Gabby, she offers up real-time coaching, straight talk, and conversations about growth and spirituality with her unique and inspiring guest. What started as hosting intimate conversations with 20 people in her New York City apartment, Gabby has grown into speaking to tens of thousands in sold-out venues around the world. Gabby was featured on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday as a next-generation thought leader. The Oprah Winfrey Network chose Gabby to be part of the Super Soul 100, a dynamic group of trailblazers whose vision and life's work are bringing a high level of consciousness into the world. The New York Times identified Gabby as a new role model. She even co-hosted the Guinness World Records largest guided meditation with Deepak Chopra and appears regularly as an expert on Today and Good Morning America, among other publications. She connects with her community through her books, her Miracle membership, and her podcast, Dear Gabby. To learn more information about Gabby Bernstein, visit GabbyBernstein.com. Today, she joins me on Self Healer Soundboard to talk about her new book, Happy Days. So Gabby, first and foremost, thank you for taking the time to have a chat with me about your new book, Happy Days. Listen, lady, this is one of the top podcasts on my list. I said to my publicist and to you, I said, this is my dream. Am I your first interview? You are officially our first interview on the self Healer Soundboard. Somebody can't, I'm like panting like a dog. This is real. I'm first of all, so deeply honored and grateful. It's one of my favorite podcasts. And I, I just, you know how much I adore you and, and you've been a really big part of my own recovery journey. And I just think you're a genius and I'm so happy to be here with you. And I mean that with all of my heart. And I am so grateful to have my kitten in the room with us as well. <laughs> I hear a little purring in the background. Well, and thank you. you. Me and Jimmy Blue. Here we I are. I am honored. I wish my kittens could be behaved enough to be here. They have to get locked in a room every time I'm filming because they would be crawling all over the table, though I'm very happy Jimmy Blue is here with us. Um, so speaking of your journey, I, I actually wanted to get started with asking you, because I know you share a whole ton of your story. And even I think someone, was it your publicist or your editor? Or someone was actually waving flags at you, asking you if you were, you know, comfortable with the degree mm. of which you were sharing so much of your journey. So how was it for you? I guess the process of writing the book, the process of having so much of your story now getting ready to be out in the world for public consumption. How was it to be so vulnerable throughout those pages of the book? Mm. Well, I opened the book, as you mentioned, with this story from my publisher saying, we're nervous for you, Gabby. You've put so much into this and it's just one fearful, uncomfortable story after the next. And just you're, you're, we feel like you're too vulnerable. And I, and then they said, you're not showing your true strength. And my response was my ability to be this vulnerable is my true strength. 
Now, that is the bottom line here, is that the bravery that it takes to go to the places that scare us and come out the other side. And to also share, as to their point, there was a, there were some adjustments I made after that big conversation, because to their point, there even though I was going through so much for the past 42 years, um, I've also I've also had a lot of light and a lot of strength and a lot of power and a lot of uh, service and beautiful gifts I've been able to contribute, even in the midst of going through difficult times, which is really important to start with, because we can go through trauma with a big T, trauma with a small T, we can go through the journey that it takes to recover and still have fun along the way and still do good things along the way, still have breakthrough moments and moments of up-leveling. It can be a really beautiful path, especially with guidance. Yeah. I love how you're describing, you know, very accurately, I, I would agree, vulnerability with strength. And I actually want to read I plucked, plucked a couple of quotes out that just really struck me. And the first one is, I am free from my past because I became brave enough to face the deeper reasons behind my suffering and fearlessly show up for my healing. Um, essentially, you go on to acknowledge and uncover a deep belief that I was unworthy of a life of happiness and peace. And I think what you're describing now, right, this other side of of the rawness of vulnerability of our stories and really describing it as fearless and strength. And, you know, I would throw out resilient, the ability to bear witness to all of our suffering and everything that has happened to us and become now an accumulation of, for many of us, the cycles of suffering that we're still stuck in, um, yeah. how much that is for most of us, the most foundational, the most beginning part of, of a healing journey and how painful and raw it can be. Yeah. Yeah. And that the bravery and the willingness to go there is the first step to resilience is the first step in the journey of coming to the other side. You have to, uh, make that commitment. I'm ready to go. Yeah. So being you brought up, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the differences in, in all of the T's, the big T, the small T, mm -hmm. um, what you have come to realize. And again, I want to go back to another quote, because I just think some of the language you used, Gabby, just so beautiful. Um, you acknowledged the painful experiences we had as kids, you know, kind of joining the collective in, into this statement, because I do think it resonates with a lot of us. Painful experiences we had as kids were fractures in our energetic connection to the love within us or the God within us. And, you know, so when you think about trauma in, in all of its forms and you, you apply this, this beautiful language of it being a, a fracture, you know, to the energetic connection of love within us, can you, can you say a little more about what you've come to realize about our past and our present and our connection or disconnection from, from love or from source? Yeah. I'd love to share that from a, a spiritual perspective and a therapeutic perspective, because I believe that when we have these traumatic events in our childhood where our system gets overwhelmed and we can't bring ourselves back to safety or self-regulation, we have what, in a, from a spiritual standpoint, is almost like a soul departure. I share in the book about how I had this, um, this, this shamanic healing young, I was maybe like 20 something. And the shaman said, oh, I see you at this young age and there's a part of your soul being separated. And similar to the way I referenced it as a fracture. What 
I know to be true from that spiritual sense and from a therapeutic sense is that when we have these moments in time that shock our system, big T trauma or small T trauma, we do in a way separate. In my case, seriously, I went into a dissociation and left my left, left, walked, just separated from that memory, tucked it away and forgot but my body never forgot. And then from a therapeutic standpoint, you know, I'm, I'm now trained in IFS and internal family systems therapy, which I know you're a fan of. And from an IFS perspective, we become, those moments in time become so severe that we exile those child parts and we separate them and we put them away and we say, no, I'm not going to go there under lock and key. No, thank you. And then we build up all these other fragmented parts of ourselves to protect us from ever having to face those impermissible feelings. And so really what this, what this book really is, is it's a journey of reclaiming those child parts and helping them feel safe enough in our internal system. And really starts with just acknowledging that they're there, acknowledging that they have been fractured and cut off. And it's a slow, steady process. It's, people may be like, well, I don't even know what that is. And I, I got to do there. And <clears throat> I understand that fracture very deeply and intimately. So you, you're saying something really profound and, and that I talk a lot about um, in my work and in our circle, which is, you know, safety and mm-hmm. really beginning to understand and explore all of these parts of ourself, right? The thoughts we think, the habits, the way we feel, how we show up in our relationships are, are for a lot of us until we become conscious, our general way of being be, has, has been born out of, at least in my opinion, that desire for safety, trying to find and create safety for ourselves within whatever environment it was that we were born into, whatever environment we were living in, whatever family structure that was, when we didn't have consistently attuned caregivers, which is a, a tall order to have a human be first and foremost, regulated within their own emotional selves, aware of their own needs, and then therefore able to be safe space for someone else. Even if that someone else is, that is their child, that, that's a lot to do as a parent. And yeah. so for the large majority of us who didn't have that very receptive, attuned, self-regulating caregiver, something led us into that shock feeling. And oftentimes it was a consistent something of shock and of overwhelm that created these fractured parts that you're describing. And then flash forward, however amount of time it is into adulthood, what most of us become aware of first, before we understand all of the layers of it, and I do want to talk a little bit about the parts and you know how we can think and work with them. Before we understand that, what most of us come to the awareness of is how our general way of being, the habits and patterns that we're living aren't serving us. And you talk and share um, about, you know, kind of your kind of addictive like behavior for lack of a better word and the different ways it was socially acceptable in Mm -hmm. endless Mm -hmm. achievement drive that I very, very much relate to myself. Um, So can you share a little bit about kind of your, before journey of healing and yeah. what your safety behaviors look like and, and how they manifested in the world. So that for listeners out there who, you know, maybe aren't yet sure of the underneath might see parts of themselves, literally parts 
um, in their attempts to create safety. Yeah. Well, it all began in this book with this story of me uh, in a my beat up white Toyota Corolla. I'm 24 and a half years old. I'm sitting in the car. I haven't slept the night before. And I have this like, you know, empty Gatorade bottle on the ground and I'm totally hungover. And just 30 minutes ago, I was at an after party and I'm in the car adhering to the alternate side of the street parking regulations. And I keep pressing play and rewind on a cassette tape. Yes, I'm dating myself. I am going back and forth with this cassette tape that I have listened to over a thousand times. And it's a recording of a psychic reading that I'd had five months earlier. And the psychic says to me, you're struggling with drugs and alcohol. And I say, with a real quivering voice, and I respond, it's not that bad. And she carries on and says, you have two choices in this lifetime. You can choose to carry on the way you are and it will be really difficult for you. Or you can get sober and make a major impact on the world. And I keep rewinding and playing and rewinding and playing because in that moment, I couldn't contemplate what that could be. How could I have an impact? How could I, in this moment of cocaine addiction and alcoholism and severe ego suffering, codependency, full-blown terror and trauma in my body, and and not even, and no awareness of why, no awareness of why. By the grace of God, I did get clean and sober half a year later. And in my sobriety, I really started to try to heal and and deepen my spiritual faith and just went diving deep into my spiritual practices and lots of therapy. But let's call it 11 years into my recovery, I still didn't know why. Why was I a drug addict? Why was I a cocaine addict? Why was I a control freak? Why was I now a workaholic? Why was I so severely codependent? Why was I always trying to, to control every detail? Why was I uh, would fly off the handle whenever I felt out of control. Why, 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 why? And here I was, it was 2016. I'm 36 years old. I'd probably written six or seven books at this point. I'd been on Oprah. I'd had so many beautiful opportunities in my life to be of service to people in a big way, but I was still massively suffering. And it was bad. It got bad at this point. And I started to crack and crack and crack. And I want to really describe this because I think a lot of your listeners may have experienced this or may in the future. And it's important to know that this is something that happens with a lot of love and and compassion. I want to hold everybody in a beautiful blanket of safety. But what can happen is we bury those exiled experiences so deep that we dissociate from them. And so I began to start cracking, cracking, cracking. And my mantra at the time, Nicole, was I can't go on like this. I can't go on like this. And then I had a dream. And the dream was of being an adult confronting the fact that I'd been sexually abused as a child. And when I woke up from that dream, it was so real that I just shut it down. I was like, no fucking way. I'm not going here. It's under lock and key, never touching this again. It just feels way too real. No, thank you. And a few days later, I was in therapy and my therapist said a few things that really ignited me into a full-blown memory of a dissociation that I 30 years ago earlier had an experience. And I remembered it in my body. I remembered it in my conscious awareness. I didn't have all the details, but I stepped into the memory. That day was horrific and terrifying and carried on like that for many, many months after. But it was also relieving because in that moment I said, 
ah, this is why I've been running. This is what I've been running from. And so as we start to tap into and get closer to and honor and recognize, whether it's in a memory or just in a therapy session or just in a book like Happy Days or in a book like yours, start to tap into the why and become brave enough to wonder why, we can start to understand why we are how we are. We can start to have deep and and profound compassion for our addictive parts, for our, our, our sort of misbehaved parts, our parts that are extreme. And we can say, oh, okay, I understand. There's a fracture. This, this child part has been locked under lock and key, locked up, not allowed out. And the journey of retrieving that part and the journey of really soothing your system, your whole system, is all in the pages of this book. And it shares my journey to one, like you said, help people know they're not alone, to help them recognize themselves in my story or just in my suffering. And to two, really see that there is a path out, that there's a guided path out. And you're, you're opening the door, Gabby, to that path by what you're acknowledging right here and right now, which is very much in alignment with what I believe to be true, which is that there, there is a why, right? Mm-hmm. The patterns that we're living were born out of somewhere, even for the many of us, I'm sure listening that, that share a similar deep belief that I read earlier, that's similar to yours and, and a lot of ours, which is of being unworthy, being yeah. unworthy of a life of happiness. For me, yeah. that last piece, being unworthy of a life of peace. Mm-hmm. All I knew from such a very early age was, was stress, was worry. There yeah. was very much a deep rooted belief in myself that I did not yet uncover as well that was driving a similar dissociative pattern of running for yeah. me, trying to find the outward achievement that I could successfully attain that would confirm or disconfirm that deep rooted belief that I, I, that I was indeed worthy. If I could find the thing that would yeah. click in, right. And unturn what I have believed to be true for the entirety of my 30 some years, by the time I began my own healing journey as well, I could feel better about myself yet. Of course, right. Those deep rooted beliefs don't ever get relieved from mm. something outside of ourself, especially mm-hmm. when it's belief about unworthiness. So when that door cracks open and we begin to become curious to what that why is, um, that is for many of us where our journey of healing begins. Uh, and that door opening can, for some of us, offer an incredible amount of relief from yeah. maybe the shame that we've been carrying as we've been secretively harboring this idea that all of what's happening around me is an indicator of how unworthy I am, that I've caused it in some way. While we can acknowledge that our past happened to us, right? We can also then shift focus and empower ourselves to create the change, right? Mm-hmm. Acknowledging that we much, we were very much limited in, in childhood mm-hmm. and our why was our best attempt at our safety, at finding yeah. for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that first for me, it took me a long, many years and a lot of different therapeutic processes that I share about in this book <clears throat> to get to the place to even touch into the shame or to get to the place where it was even safe enough to, to, to witness that this happened to me. This wasn't my fault. Mm-hmm. 
So, and even still I'm working on it, you know, I'm coming out with this book and I'm like, Oh, so much terror, night sweats, you know, like I'm going through it right now. And it's a, such a journey, but I do believe that it begins with being brave enough to wonder. And when we start to tap into that awareness, that's the, that's the door that opens. There's this beautiful Ama quote that when an eggshell cracks from the outside, it's broken. But when it cracks from the inside, it's reborn. What I love about that for this conversation is that those moments of cracking, as I described it when I was cracking into the memory or hitting bottom with alcohol and drugs or just hitting enough of a bottom where you just look at your life and like, is this it? I don't want to go on like this. I can't live in extreme hypervigilance or I can't live in extreme anxiety anymore, depression or alcoholism or whatever. Those are the moments when we crack open to the greatness of who we are, to the possibility of who we can be and who we can really return to because we already are that. We already are that, but we reclaim our innocence. And that's this, this is a, it's a, it's a, it's a steady journey and it begins with that awareness. And it also begins with a tremendous amount of self-compassion because the, the, I've been through this journey and I don't know that I was cultivating as nearly as much self-compassion as I have today. And if we can begin the conversation by witnessing what's been up and decide to show up for it, but through the lens of tremendous compassion for what we've been through and how we've tried to survive, the journey is a lot easier because that self-compassion can be the leader rather than that self-attack or shaming or blaming or judgment towards ourselves. So that would be a big thing I'd like, I, if I had been where I am, if I'd known where I was going to be then in 2016, or even in 20, 2005, when I got sober, I would love to say to those parts of myself, you did the best you could. And you've done a great job to get to where you are right now. Well, it's, a, it's in that acknowledgement. And I think you kind of mentioned more or less what I saw as kind of three components um, of, you know, what I would call a healing journey. Um, and the first one is I think what we're talking about right now, which is witnessing your suffering, right? Mm. Witnessing your pain, witnessing your subconscious mind and all of its triggers and that deep wounding. And you have this one line where you essentially suggest or utilizing this, this concept for yourself and your own journey, you say, paying attention to the minute you want to run. Mm -hmm. So that witnessing is, is the space I think that we're, we're talking about right now, which is mm -hmm. learning how to, with compassion, of course, see, see all, all of the self, see all of that tendencies and the patternings that we have and the desire to want to run and learning how to then compassionately bear witness to, to that depth of pain that most of us are still bringing with us into adulthood. Yeah. In that, in that chapter, I really reference this opportunity that we have to look at the triggers in our life and then notice the feelings that are behind those triggers. And then notice all the ways that we try to avoid those feelings because the triggers are activating a feeling that's impermissible, the exiled child parts of us. And then the ways that we run from those feelings are these protector parts. They're the parts that are trying to numb it out control, work, sex, love, porn, even just spirituality can be a protector part 
you know, spiritual bypassing, which is what I did for many years. And frankly, all these protectors are good parts. They all have a lot of important roles in our life, these ways that we protect ourselves. But the goal is to help them be less extreme. Yeah. I love you introing this or re-introing this concept of, of parts. Um, you know, and I, I think that example here is so important, acknowledging the wounding of the part. So I feel unworthy. I feel fearful. I feel abandoned. I feel rejected. All of the different things that could be activating, activate it in that moment. And then again, what is my attempt to run? How am mm. I trying to reestablish safety? What am I doing as a result of that part and that deep rooted pain or that deep rooted fear? And can I begin to see clearly the whole story for myself instead of just focusing on the running or the shame or the yelling or whatever it is I did as a result, understanding that we do have these deep rooted parts of us that still have stored pain, experiences, narratives, beliefs, coping mechanisms, all from our childhood that then do awash us and become very present to us Mm -hmm. in in real time. And that's when you say kind of witness when, when you want to run and and almost dive then in from that point and allow the space for that deeper feeling of I'm scared I'm going to be rejected. I'm Mm -hmm. scared. I'm not loved right now. I'm scared that what's happening is indication that I'm not worthy in this moment. You know, I think that there's, there's something important that my, my therapist once said to me, your trauma shows up in how you brush your teeth. It's, it's everywhere. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it, we, we build up a world around us with all of these protection mechanisms, otherwise known as protector parts, to manage the impermissible, to manage the child that was abused, to manage the child that was neglected, to manage this, the six-year-old that was told they were stupid. Whatever the t- trauma with a big T, trauma with a small T is, we're managing, managing, managing. And These managers are in these extreme roles that turn into addiction, that become so extreme that they become burnout, that they can take us to the psych ward, that they can bring us to our knees with physical psychosomatic responses. And so we, what what the goal is ultimately, and this is back to internal family systems, but also it's quite very similar to my spiritual beliefs that I've been teaching for decades is that we have to establish a greater, an extraordinary connection to what is known as self and self with a capital S. And some people might call that higher self or they might call it inner guidance system or God or universe, but it's a non-physical presence within ourselves that's called self with a capital S and it is compassionate, it is calm, it is creative, it is courageous, curious. And when we start to develop that connection to self, we can then let self be the leader of these extreme parts. So rather than letting the extreme parts run the show, you know, letting my 10-year-old self show up to work and try to control shit, you know, or letting my, you know, my, my rager part show up in my marriage when I'm activated, you know, I can let self show up. And this is a practice and I give lots of methods for it in the book, but you can establish that connection to that compassion. That's why I mentioned the compassion up front, where you can establish some curiosity, much like what you just said, Nicole, when you said, looking more closely, what, what's behind this? What do you need to feel right now? What do you need right now? As we develop this level of 
energetic awareness of that self-energy, we can then extend that self-energy to these extreme parts of ourselves. And that would look like this. It would look like, you know, let's say something got really messed up at my, in one of my old triggers was like when things went wrong with my work stuff and I was out of control. And one of the ways that I maintained control over those impermissible feelings was workaholism, stress, you know, just trying to control everything. Really dominant. It was really not cool energy. And when something would go out of control, like the website went down or the webinar blew up or whatever, I'd go fucking crazy. <laughs> and God bless the people that used to work. <laughs> and in those moments, I would just not have the awareness of self. I just went, would go get dissociate and check out into the, to the part that was so activated. So I would go so into the controller part. And now if something's not going well, I can notice the controller part start to come up and then I can literally tune into self, compassion, courage, calm, creative, and start to just be the witness of that part and simply begin a dialogue with it. What do I notice about that part? What does it need from me right now? How can I support that part in this moment? How can I extend compassion to that part? How can I calm that part and soothe that part? And this is a practice. I mean, I've been in therapy in this IFS therapy for 10 years and I just did the training. So this is something that comes very easily to me now. And it's not something that somebody's going to get overnight, but I want to really explain the possibility here, which is that you have an internal parent that's fucking awesome. And when you connect to that internal parent known as self, your life becomes so much easier mm -hmm. because you're no longer extremely running in all these extreme managing ways. I even love um, the fact that when IFS is built on and the language it uses is part. Um, I think for so many of us that can offer healing here as well. Like we were talking about earlier, our actions don't make us who we are, right? Because yeah. a lot of times our actions come from this deep wounding. And again, our best attempts at, at survival, at, at safety. Um, so this idea that when I'm acting in my part, it is just that it's, it's yeah. a part of who yeah. I am. It does not make me who I am ultimately. Yeah. And this self space, capital S that you're describing here, you know, it is very much, I think what, what we're all journeying toward or, or wondering if we have inside of us this intuition, this guidance, right? This center being, and it is, I want to highlight a being state because a lot of us I see look into our minds. We think it's going to talk to us in the very narrative based way that most of our thoughts do this intuition, this guidance. And in reality, at least the way I experience it and I describe it, it's our knowings don't come from our, our thinking mind. They again, come from this, a different state of consciousness where we're in our being, if you ask me, where we're connected to our heart space, um, where we're actually embodying a different level of consciousness. And I think this applies into the, the second foundational pillar, if you will, of healing that you offer, which is creating a new vision and rewiring your brain. And I'll even add in your body. And I know that you do share a lot of the body-based stuff, the somatic, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. In terms of 
this journey is about more than just thinking thoughts in a different way. It's quite literally about embodying self and self energy and doing the body or the somatic work to actually create that level of safety and of consciousness so that we can begin then to hear the mutterings of that intuition or of that capital S self. Yeah, it's a beautiful point because the trauma recovery journey has so many layers and it can, and it's very gentle and it's, and it can be slow. I, I wish you a slow recovery because the slower you go, the more detailed the recognition of all those layers is. And the more you can comb through those layers and start to peel back the onion and just get closer and closer to the core. And what I have experienced in my own recovery is that there was years of this journey of spiritual development that had to come first. And then there was body-based somatic work that came through when I felt safe enough to go into my body. And there was EMDR that came through at a different time, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is bilateral brain stimulation, which allows you to really open up your window of tolerance to manage, to, to, to reprocess disturbances. And all these different therapies and all these different spiritual practices came at the exact right time and order for me. And everyone's going to have a different order, but your system can open you up to what's next. Your literally your inner sense of safety will say, okay, I'm safe enough to go there now. I remember asking my therapist, why did I remember the trauma now at 36? And she said, because you were safe enough to remember. And she also said to me yesterday, that was so crazy. She said, most people who have a dissociated childhood traumatic event, particularly sexual in nature, don't remember the average age of remembering is 52 years old. Think about how much running that one would go, you know, they don't really start recovering and and feeling better until they're like 67, you know, it's like, and they can start feeling better right away once they start to address it. But that breaks my heart that we can live a lifetime or half a lifetime unconscious of, unaware of the possibilities of safety within ourselves. Is it's mind blowing to consider, um, and I think the hopeful side of it is the reality that very thankfully and gratefully there is not a too late. No, um, no. When Never. I mean when I say that, right, is that our our brain now, and I and I I sh- I share this and I offer this because it was only a, a distant or not so distant past where in the field, at least in my field we believe that the brain was, was done changing at a certain age and into your twenties. That was it. There was no possible, not no possibility of your brain changing. We also very much in the field believe that your body could only change to the extent that it's genetics would allow mm-hmm. that we were infinitely bound by this DNA expression inside of us. And of course, while our DNA, you know, does play a role, we now know that that isn't as true as we once thought That's our right. body and our brain is capable of, of, of changing throughout life, of having this, this very beautifully painful journey of witnessing, as we're describing, of seeing all of the different ways that we, we are running and trying to create safety. If it does happen for us into our 50s, our 60s, our 70s, there is still the possibility to create an incredible transformation 
um, of, of mind and, and of body. And I think that's the hopeful piece here. And again, I'm always reiterating that point because like I said, for a very long time, I, I was even taught differently. I was taught very much in that old model, which is yeah. very limiting. Yeah. It's very disempowering. It does feel like you might as well get to this point and there is no returning because I've repeated these habits for so long. And now my body is stuck. My brain is stuck. And mm-hmm. that's just simply not true. And all of the very beautiful journey and tools that you share in this book, Happy Days, really are the foundational tools of creating that top to bottom transformation. Yeah, because there's there's also in your field the belief that sometimes you have to fully remember and recall the whole story or you know be able to talk it all out. And that's not true either, because and I'm living proof of that. You can bring the bring the bring the story back to the body. You can actually attune to what energetic disturbances need to be undone in your nervous system through somatic experiencing, through EMDR, through EFT, through IFS as well. But it doesn't have to be a full-blown recall of every single horrific detail that happened to you as a child. And I think that that's important to say because a lot of people may be so like me, so, so, so terrified of what that historical experience might've been that to even contemplate uncovering more details could be too extreme for their system and then in turn block them from actually doing the deeper work. And so for me, I've noticed that that the the body for me really reacted to trauma. And there, to your point, there's a whole chapter in the book about the body. And I, I suffered with gastrointestinal issues for decades. And when I began studying the work of Dr. John Sarno, this began to, to really shift for me. And Sarno really focused on, he wrote the book, Healing Back Pain and the Mind-Body Prescription. And the, the, the thesis being that our physical condition, our physical symptoms are psychosomatic. And that when we have these unresolved experiences in, in IFS, if we've got exiled parts that haven't been tended to, we have impermissible rage, impermissible grief, impermissible shame. And then we build up our protectors, but some other forms of protector parts are physical symptoms. So we can send that same, we can avoid that feeling of rage by sending it all to our back. Mm -hmm. Or we get so living in such serious hypervigilance that our gut gut gets no, you know, stops getting blood sent to it and it just goes to shit, right? And so when we have these physical symptoms, yes, they are indeed physical. Yes, they do often require medical care. and, And I believe in that fully and completely but they also require a deeper exploration of what are the feelings that live beneath them. Yeah, I give a lot of methods in the book for how you can begin to tap into and touch into those those parts of your body that are trying to reveal something to you as well. I think it's it's beautiful too, the acknowledgement that you're offering that this isn't minimizing the pain that many of us are carrying in our body. I mean, for some of us, the symptomology of the gastrointestinal stuff um, that comes as a byproduct, whether it's, you know, IBS, or for me, it was an extreme form of constipation, right? That can be very, it's real period. Mm -hmm. and can be very, very painful and and very limiting. Mm -hmm. And so the way you're very beautifully offering it as an opportunity to then also wonder about or get curious of if that in and of itself is that symptom is coming yeah. from something deeper. And when you were talking and you said the word rage, I'm, I'm remembering one of the journal, the journaling techniques that you suggest in your book 
um, which is called rage on the page, right? So the ways that we can begin to create space in our world. And for some of us, it might be through the safety of a private journaling experience where we are able then to locate and to discharge the deeper feelings, how incredibly important that that space becomes on our journey, because that deep feeling is just as real as that symptom. So the goal becomes, how can I allow space for both? And then to almost release the valve on what's fueling the physical symptomology or whatever other pattern it is that of running that I'm stuck in or that I'm seeing. Yeah. And I, I love that you brought up that method because it's really a Sarno method and I just added to it, but what it is, is really giving voice to the impermissible. Mm -hmm. So while I was having some TMJ and I was talking to my friend, Nicole Sachs, who practices a lot of the Sarno work. And she said, well, try this method that she adapted from Sarno and she calls it journal speak. And she said, write for 20 minutes about whatever you're feeling and then follow it with a meditation for 20 minutes. And so I did that, but then I gabified it because I always just like, I'm like, really, I am an extreme person. And those extreme parts now that are not so um, out of control are really helpful. And so I I added in uh, some binaural music. And so that binaural music, it's like the EMDR music. It stimulates the right brain and the left brain. And as I mentioned earlier, when you have that bilateral brain stimulation, you're able to process more of whatever is unresolved. And so I listened to the EMDR music with just stimulate. It stimulated a, a tone in the right ear and a tone in the left ear behind the music. And that starts to stimulate that bilateral brain functioning while writing about for 20 minutes, whatever I was rageful, shameful, angry, even slightly disturbed, whatever, got it onto the page, gave it voice listen, while processing it with this music and then follow it with a 20 minute meditation while I'm still listening to the music. And that's when I can reprocess it. That's the reprocessing part. That's when I can go into a deep meditative state and my subconscious can actually start to create new neural pathways and say, we can do, we can, we can feel these feelings with a more settled energy, or we can see it visually in your mind's eye. And I do that every day for 40 minutes and it has changed my life, changed my life. I sleep 10 hours and I'm, I'm at ease and I know how to, I know where to bring it. I know where to bring it all. So getting it out is extremely important. But I also want to just say that rage on the page may sound um, too overwhelming to someone listening right now. So you can just, you know, just share on the page as well. (laughs) Like it may not, it may not be ready to face into rage. So I want to really acknowledge that. For me, and I'll just share my own journey in, in writing and free associative writing, um, being someone who might not likely have been able to even access or admit that I I have deep rooted rage or anger. And, you know, I'm really still on that journey of allowing in for me, all of my spectrum of emotions outside of worry and stress, which I've had down my whole life. So when I hear like anger and rage, I might have been that person. So I appreciate that offering and that suggestion for me, it began with doing what I think maybe many listeners have been um, introduced to is call it morning pages Yes. Um, which is just kind of free associative writing in the morning and whether or not you do the protocol of three full pages, maybe some days I did, maybe some days I didn't, because even for me, free associative writing about neutral topics was very difficult. I was not used to allowing myself to be in my self energy, to hmm. be present to what was alive for me or happening. Cause very much like you, I was running, I was on my spaceship. I was lost right. in thought. I was 
on my next to-do list check mark. And I was, I didn't never had that space. So kind of just to, to piggyback on that suggestion and to attest that sometimes for some of us writing, being in self-energy, sitting in one minute of meditation to really connect with that deeper space will be difficult at first and might even be overwhelming. So any yeah. kind just of neutral writing, it's beautiful that you brought up Julia Cameron and the morning pages, because what she was doing with that practice was helping you clear space for creativity. Mm-hmm. And what is creativity? Self energy. Yeah. So, you know, listen, God is in all of it. It's all the work that we've been drawn to and that you speak of here and in your book and in my book. It's all spiritual work. It's all about returning to self, returning to God, whatever you choose to call it, and however you need to get there. And I actually always say, like, I don't care what you call it. I just care that you call upon it. We're actually, this brings us to the the final foundational piece because I, I did mention I noted three, and the third one is again the conversation you and I are having now of of surrender, of mm-hmm. surrendering and honoring our deepest feelings, our deepest wounding, that deep tendency that we have to run to seek safety, to claw at it whatever way that we can, and still, in real time, over time, learning how to drop back into that self energy. And then to gift ourselves with the opportunity to make new choices from that space. And I couldn't agree more with you, Gabby. Um, I know sometimes people hearing spiritual, it's a spiritual journey. Oh, cringe. Spirit is, in my opinion, essence. It's the uniqueness that is inside each of us that is always there. Um, many of us are living in disconnection from that space because of all of this condition patterning, all of these parts that are running the show more often than not. So that essence is alive within each of us. And it does contain not only our intuition, but like you're very beautifully acknowledging now our creativity. I'll go a step further. Our ability to be truly present and connected to another being, to the general world, the natural world, which we are part of. So ultimately, yes, this is a spiritual journey for all of us because really it's just that journey back into that deeper space of who we are. Yeah. I, I believe that you you said what I would refer to as a faith statement when you started talking about what spirit means to you. And for me, it means that there is an ever present energy of love within us and around us that is always guiding us and supporting us. So when we start to surrender to that inner guidance, we are led, we are led to the right therapist. We're led to this podcast. We're led to your book. We're led to my book. We're led to the yoga teacher, whoever it might be, we're led to the medication, whatever it is. I speak very openly about that in the book too. We're led to whatever it is that we need for the next level of our own recovery. And so that process of surrender really is a daily ritual of noticing your fear, noticing your trigger, noticing the part of you that's activated and offering it up saying, God, self, inner guide, help me work this out. And if that doesn't resonate, you don't get it yet. What I learned in my 12-step program that just was so healing for me was fake it till you make it. I've been on my knees every single morning for the past 16 years in my recovery. And I say, take it from me. Take it all from me. And there's a beautiful prayer that has been a cornerstone in my recovery. And it's from A Course in Miracles. Where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say? And to whom? 
And that prayer, even before I had such a strong faith statement that I have now, that, that prayer was a string that was guiding me to my higher self and to my higher power of my own understanding. And so just begin with asking for help. I think what you're also highlighting here, and it's kind of entering into a really, really great wrap up of this whole conversation, which is really attesting to the ongoingness, the process, the beingness of this whole journey every day, like you just mentioned, asking for that guidance every day, right? Taking those moments to surrender um, every day, being present to ourselves and the entirety of our parts and our circumstances and our choices and our desires to run and all of the different layers of feelings that we have. It's an everyday dot, dot, dot journey. Um, and again, I'm saying this speaking to multiple versions of, of past self and some versions I still entertain now that looks for this done place, this final mm -hmm. box that I can just put my black marker over and, mm -hmm. you know, say it's complete. Um, and again, that even comes from that tendency for me, for knowing, for control, for having a security um, that's again, outside of me. And the more we drop that back in, the more we cultivate that connection, we listen to that guidance, and then we get that guidance affirmed when life does start to change in whatever direction we want to see it changing in, that confidence builds, and then it builds a little bit more. And then that uncertainty of tomorrow still might feel looming. It feels a bit more manageable because we've rebuilt that connection to that guidance, to that self by the practice of dropping in by the process, right. Of being on the journey that continues right. into the infinite future. People used to ask me, how do I live a miraculous life? And I would say, well, you add up the miracles. So as we tap into and tune into all the moments of miraculous, the moments of, oh, I responded a little bit differently yesterday, or I took that tip from Nicole and it worked. We start to create a new, more spiritual proof in our body, in our system, in our nervous system, in our brain that we can change. And the more we add up those miracle moments, the, the closer we get to living a miraculous life. And when we live in the miraculous, it's not like we don't have problems, you know, but we can show up for them with a tremendous amount of faith and grace, and that can carry us. And it's one of the things I admire most about you, Nicole, is that your pursuit to that miraculous is, we witness it every day on your, on your Instagram handle and in this podcast. It's, it's so fun. It's a joyful pursuit. And you put so much love into it, and you really have fun going deeper. And I think that's a really important message. We started with it and I want to close with it is that the journey, while it may feel terrifying or treacherous or long, or I don't want to do that, have fun along the way. Add up the miracle moments. I, I appreciate you, you acknowledging that of me, Gabby, so, so much. And I, I do want to highlight how intentional sometimes we have to be even with ourselves in those moments of acknowledgement. It can become so easy to forget that, you know what, the things that I am doing today are quite different than the things mm. I was doing five, 10 years ago, um, because that's now out of mind. And all I can see is the distance between what I'm doing or not doing today and what I prefer to be doing or not doing into a right. future time. So there's been so many moments for me, not only personally in business, where it does take the conscious intention of, we actually 
had a month in our circle a couple months ago called Celebrate You, which yeah. the focus was on that, how purposeful we have to be about acknowledging those moments of change because most of us do just look right on to the next or do see what we didn't do as opposed to what we did in that moment and taking those moments to celebrate, to acknowledge your way on the journey is, is so incredibly impactful and powering and it's affirmatory. It's like, oh, okay, right. This is what's going to help continue me walking forward, even as it remains difficult in moments, even after I backslide or whatever we want to right. call it. I have that old reaction. I do that old habit. I do that old thing that I want to avoid. Um, these will be the moments that you can call upon to say, you know, I did do that old thing. And now mm -hmm. I have just another opportunity, just like I did many months before to do something new. And yeah. in my opinion, it's building those moments into of acknowledgement of celebration, especially if again, coming full circle, you do have as many of us do that core. I'm not worthy. That's yeah. going to be the first narrative that's going to be offered to your subconscious. So right. when I say being intentional, that's what that means in practice, stopping that and saying, okay, thank you, old narrative that kept me safe in this moment. I am worthy because this is mm -hmm. what I did differently. And being compassionate towards. So, oh, there you are again, voice of unworthiness. And I understand that you would be here right now because you're trying to protect me from feeling something. And I have a lot of love and compassion towards you, but I'm going to choose again. And I'd love to see things differently. I'd love to take a walk with myself right now. I'm going to open that book again. I'm going to go listen to Nicole and giving yourself the chance to start with that compassion because can, compassion is the antidote to unworthiness. What a beautiful line. Compassion is the antidote to unworthiness. I am going to take that one with me. Um, thank you, Gabby, for all of your time, your energy, your wisdom. Before we end, tell us a little bit about when the book officially comes out, when and how we can get our hands on it. Talk to me about Happy Days. Books out on 22222. Oh, what a date. <laughs> <laughs> if you're hearing this before the 26th of February, you can get a free full day workshop with me on the book when you when you pre-order or you order before the 26th. Just go to deargabby.com slash happy days. And um, you can also find me at my show, Dear Gabby, on my podcast. And I am just really freaking proud to be your first interview. I'm going to brag about that. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for being my first interview, Gabby. Thank you for being who you are in the world. Um, it's been truly an honor that have, to have had our paths cross. Um, you're someone whose work I've always read, I've always admired. So being able to have these continued conversations with me is truly my honor and my pleasure. So thank you for taking the time today. Right back at you, sister.